Um, how's everybody doing this morning? Doing well? All right. Um, flame? All right, we'll just see what's going on here. Hi, this is where a well-oiled machine around here. It's just how it is. Um, hey, I actually have matches. That's weird. Uh, we're, we are in the midst of our Advent series, so uh, we're going to go ahead and light the candle from last week. This is beating back. Sorry, there's nothing I can do about it. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and light the candle from last week, as well as the candle for this week. Last week's candle, we talked about... Um, <laughs> I have to do another match, because... That would have sucked. Last week we talked about the candle of hope, and how our only hope, our truest hope, our best hope, is in the coming of Jesus, in his arrival, in his coming, and his tearing asunder the skies. We looked at Isaiah 64 last week. Um, and this week we're going to be continuing our series on uh, Advent, so if you've been with us, you'll be following right along. If not, don't worry. I'm just talking about Jesus, so it's all right. Uh, I want to start off this morning um, by having us just stand to our feet, if we would, please. We're going to read some verses uh, from the Bible. We just want to honor the scriptures as the word of God, as his holy and true and awesome word. Much will be said this morning, but we know for certainty and absolution that what we're about to read is the living, active, breathing word of God. Amen. So we stand not in some religious fashion, but rather to honor and to show respect to the word of God. So I'm going to read just a few verses. I'm not really going to preach off of these this morning. I just kind of want them in our thinking and our hearing and just to kind of be aware of them a little bit. So uh, this is uh, Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. And then again in Malachi, we have Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. says, behold, I send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord's coming. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Let's pray this morning. Holy Spirit, we thank you today for your word. We thank you for the fact that it is living and active. God, we thank you that you didn't give us a word that was dead and passive, but you gave us a word that was living and active. And so, God, we come to you boldly and yet humbly, boldly asking you to speak and humbly knowing that if you don't, this morning is going to suck. So, God, we just come and we ask that you speak. God, come and deliver your word to us. Come and deliver not just... uh, in the hearing, God, but let it penetrate beyond just our hearing and let it move to a place of of depth within us. Let it move to a place of reality in our hearts. Let us be transformed in the hearing because we apply it, because we take it and we walk with it. We, We don't just give the word our ears, but God, we give the word our hearts and we give the word our feet. Let us walk in obedience to your gospel, to what is written in the word, and God, also to that message that you would speak to our hearts today. Jesus, be glorified, magnified, and exalted in all things. It's to your glory, and in your name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and sit down. Thank you for standing. I appreciate it. I think it's important for us to, to uh, honor, show respect to the word of God. So last week, uh, we saw primarily uh, 
few things. We, we discussed kind of the general advent a little bit and kind of talked about that. I'm not going to bore you with that again. But uh, the biggest thing that uh, I hope we walked away from last week is an understanding and a realization that Advent, which is just the, the, the coming, the arrival of Jesus, has much more to do um, than just with, as the great theologian Ricky Bobby said, sweet little eight-pound, nine-ounce baby Jesus, that Advent has more than just his birth and the quote-unquote Christmas story. It has more than just the, the little baby in the manger. It, it's more than that. Something beyond that was taking place in his arrival. And literally, it, we, we discovered through Isaiah 64, we saw that in Christ's coming, he rent the heavens. Come on. He, he tore a hole in the skies and made a way to us. We saw that, that while we are held away from God because of our sin, he is not held away from us. That he is well able to make a way to us. He is well able to, to, to span the distance, to, to utterly decimate the separation that we have with him. I love the picture we saw in Isaiah 64 last week, how our sin and our iniquity are much like the changing in seasons that happens for trees into the fall. It, it, it shrivels us up. Come on, our sin shrivels us. It pulls the life out of us, and then that iniquity, that draw towards sin, pulls us away from the very life that we ought to have in connection with Jesus. That Jesus is everything. Come on. And then as we, as we are drawn away by the, the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. As that happens in our hearts, we are shriveled up. There's no life left in us, and we're drawn away from that very life source. So then it becomes this horrible cycle, right? The sin brings death, and the sin also pulls us away from life. So we're hopeless, but yet we saw that we have hope, come on, in the advent, in the coming of Jesus. The heart's cry of God's people was and is, oh, that you would rend the heavens. Oh, that there would be a release of this pressure, this distance. But what we're going to do this morning, what we're going to discuss, if last week it is known as the week of hope. It's the, the hope candle. It's all about hope. If you follow us on Facebook, we've been posting verses on hope all week. We'll be doing that each week, kind of tying into the theme of Sunday. This gives you an ability to just kind of, uh, come on, you see enough crap on Facebook. Come on, you might as well see some Bible on Facebook, right? Just occasionally, just slip it in there, like just once in a while, just a verse or two. Promise it won't hurt you. And looking at hope, well, this week, the theme, the 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 perspective is one of preparation, and I think it makes sense if you stop and think about this for a moment. If we have a great hope of his arrival, if we have a true and blessed and sure hope that God is going to rend the heavens and come down, it only makes sense that there would be an appropriate and reasonable response of preparation. The dudes in the room don't understand this as much as the ladies do, right? Like, you know that when you have somebody coming over to visit, like you know they're coming over for dinner. You're like, we're cleaning everything. You clean closets. You clean stuff no one's going to see, right? And you make your husband help you. And then you really frustrate your husband because here's what you say. Your friends come over and you go, I'm really sorry the house is so dirty. You just spent six hours cleaning your house. It's not dirty at all. And your husband's like, what, what, why did I, what, what? If we're that picky, if we're that aware, if we're that 
honoring, come on somebody, of a human guest that's going to come visit our house, how much more appropriate is it to respond in preparation with the knowledge that Christ is coming, that Jesus is coming, that there's a visitation awaiting us in him? That's what we're looking at this week is that preparation. The promise was and is, and why I had us read the verses in Malachi, the promise of God, though, this is the amazing thing to me. This is just the the scandalousness of God's grace. He has every right. He's, he's going to look, I'm already you know, bringing destruction to that, that which separates us. I'm already the one that's going to come to you. That's weird, right? Typically, if, if you were going to meet with somebody of a greater statute and a greater position than you, you would have to go to them. But God says, no, I don't work that way. My ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are greater than yours. So I'm going to come to you. And you would assume that it would be just and right for God to say, and I expect you to be ready for me. But God, in his ridiculousness and in his extravagant love and his amazing grace, says, you know what? I'm also going to send to you somebody who will prepare you for my arrival. So not only is he coming, come on somebody, not only is he extending grace in coming to us, but he's also saying, I'm going to send a chosen messenger, a, a prophetic voice, a person with a word for you that will prepare you. So we saw that. So this morning what I want us to do and what we're going to be looking at is what is that message that is going to prepare us? Side note, just can't let this slip by. I love talking about the word of God. Understand this. God always prepares us through his word. It's why we make such a big deal about it in church. It's why for us as Sozo, we, we make it fundamental that what we do is we look into the word of God and unpack it. This is not a church, we've said this before, where you're going to get 16 steps to having a healthy marriage. One step, you die, let Jesus live. That's pretty much every week all you're going to hear. We're like, really? Yeah, that's it. I mean, that's like, you suck at life, Jesus doesn't. That's pretty much what you hear every week. Like, he reads different verses, but he says the same thing every week. Yeah, you caught on, you're quick. It, ultimately, what we're going to be doing here is seeing that God delivers a word to us to prepare our hearts. So what I want us to do is look at what is that word? What's the word that, that's going to be preached? So um, nobody has Bibles anymore. We all have phones. But if you're old school like me and you still like having a book that has the word of God in it, uh, first what I want you to do is go to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew 3 verse 1. And you can just, you know, do the old school thing of like put your finger in the Bible. If you have a phone, don't bother because you're going to go somewhere else in just like two seconds. The rest of you, though, so if you have an old school Bible, I hear a few pages turning. I just love that sound, so you'll make me happier if you bring a Bible. I don't care, but you'll, bring, you'll make me happier. Nobody cares? Okay, good. Um, Isaiah chapter, uh, we're also going to be looking at Isaiah chapter 40. So we're going to read these back to back. I don't want to leave any space between them. So uh, just be prepared. Isaiah chapter 40. If you don't like the Bible, these are bad weeks to come to church because we're reading whole chunks of it. So uh, Isaiah chapter 40. Verse 1 says, comfort, comfort my people, says the Lord. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare or her trouble is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill be made low. 
The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. Pop quiz, who's the glory of the Lord? What, six of you were half sure about that. Come on, who's the glory of the Lord? Jesus, okay? What, what's it all about? Jesus. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Who's the word? Come on, who's the word? There we go. Go up, go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not, says, or say to the cities, of Judah, behold your God. Who's our God? Jesus. Come on, there we go. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd, he will gather the lambs in his arms, he will carry them in his bosom, and gently lead those that are with young. Matthew chapter three, verse one. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judah. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. I like half of that. Verse five. Then Jerusalem and all of Judea and all the regions about the Jordan were going out to him. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees Coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the ax is laid to the root of the tree, every tree that does not Bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Such an uplifting message, John. Thanks. So we're looking here. What I, why I wanted us to see this is we have the foretelling, the, the prophetic utterance of this message, this messenger, this, this word that was to come, and then we had the fulfilling of it in John coming and proclaiming the word of God. So I want us to see, because it's important to me, that we kind of recognize a few things here. First is this, in Isaiah, he says comfort. He says, proclaim comfort to my people. Fast forward, John's preaching, and what's John saying? Repent. Not very comforting, John. It's not nice. It should be nicer, John. Kind of rude. People won't like you if you're rude. Here's what we need to understand here. 
First off, the comfort with which God comforts us is not a comfort of laziness and passiveness and apathy. When you look into this word, I I love Hebrew. I love it as a language because it's great this time of year when you have a cold. A little phlegm in the back of your throat, you need that to speak Hebrew. Um, So the word here for comfort in Isaiah is nechem. See what I mean? You spit a lot. Um, Nehem. It's the same uh, Hebrew word where Noah got his name from. Just side note if you're curious. Uh, and it does mean comfort. Don't, don't get me wrong. About 50, a little over 50 times in the, in the, in the Old Testament, it's the, the word Nehem is translated comfort. But just a little over 40 times, anybody want to take a wild guess as what it's translated as? Repent. Close. Close. That's usually the answer. If we wanted to take 45 seconds on a side trail, I could probably make it mean Jesus? <laughs> repentance means that we change our heart. Jesus is the only that can change our heart, so it means Jesus. Bam, done, okay. Um, but no, it, it, it means we can just as easily translate this repentance, and here's why I believe that is. Just to make sure we all understand repentance before I explain that, because again, it, there's a lot of, of really stupid teaching about the word repentance inside the church, and I want to kill it. So um, I have a chance this morning, so it's not my notes but I'm going to do it anyways. Uh, repentance here, it doesn't mean saying you're sorry. That's the first thing we, we, we learn wrongly, right? Repentance means saying you're sorry. No, it doesn't. Repentance doesn't mean saying you're sorry at all. Repentance means you're saying you're wrong. Repentance, repentance means 180 degree turn. So we're going this way, go this way. All the kids come forward to camp and cry. No, doesn't mean that either. What repentance means literally, the Greek word that John was proclaiming, the, the meaning here of what it means in the Hebrew is literally it means to say, I'm wrong, God is right, therefore it's requesting that God would change your thoughts into his thoughts, which ultimately, come on somebody, will lead to a change in lifestyle. Here's why I think it's so important important to me that we understand this and why John proclaimed it as repentance instead of comfort when he was preaching this message. Because here's the truth. We saw last week our sin and our iniquity dries us up, shrivels us up. We, we, our sin draws us away from God. Our iniquity draws us even further from God, right? So we are in an environment now in our sin that is leading to our destruction and death. Is it kind or cruel to lull somebody into comfort in that kind of environment? oh, it's fine, don't worry, Jesus is coming. What? If I am living in a place that is killing me, like the Tri-Cities or something, it's... (laughs) Come on. If I'm living in an environment where there is toxic radiation, where there is is horrible environment, and you just comfort me and try to lull me to sleep, you're not being nice. Show me a way out. Come on. Repentance. It's saying, God, look, I've been thinking wrong. I'm stuck here. I can't change me. This is the best I've been able to do. I've said this before, and I know it's mean, but I love you enough to tell you No one has failed you. No one has hurt you. No one has disappointed you more than you. And yet we want to stand before God and go, you should really let me do things my way. But you can't find your keys most day when you're leaving, okay? Like, it's just, it's not a good thing for you to think that you should be in control. 
Okay, so ultimately here, what we're doing is we're going to the Father. We are going to the Father through Jesus by the Holy Spirit to say, God, look, I suck at life and you don't. Please change me. That's repentance. And that's the message of comfort that is being brought to the people of God. Look, Jesus is coming, okay? He's, he's, his advent is imminent. His arrival is soon, So now you ought to prepare for that by saying, God, let me be able to recognize you when you come. Let me be able to see the way out of this place. Repentance, literally, I love the way it's worded here. It it changes the topography of our world. That which used to be impossible for us, the mountains and the valleys, the rough places, the, 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 the crooked path is made straight as we repent. I don't know if you've experienced this. It's, it's a profoundly significant thing where you are without hope. Where you're in a place where you're going like, I really don't have any hope that anything's ever going to get better. And I'm not talking about just situations. I'm talking about you, right? Like we talked about this before. You might be annoyed by me, but you're not as annoyed by me as I'm annoyed by me because I always have to be around me. Imagine having to be around this all the time. It's exhausting. I want to be changed. I want to be different. But I don't know how to do that. And that hopelessness that you feel, but here's the amazing thing, that profound, significant, visceral, real hope that comes when repentance is granted. When genuine repentance happens, suddenly it's, I was in a desert. I was in a place filled with valleys and mountains, and all of a sudden it's flat, it's easy, and it's straight, and I know exactly what I need to do. Give up and let Jesus take over. He says to speak this message tenderly to my people. He says, comfort, comfort my people. Gives him the message. He says, deliver it tenderly. Now, we might think that I'm being horrible because I scream at you. That's not tender. You should be a sweetie pie. That's not what the word tenderly means either. We translate it tenderly because it's the best English word we have, but literally what it means is cut through all the crap, cut through all of the exterior surface. The word, the word is, is in contrast to a surface level, external only kind of delivery system where all I'm interested in is your external response to a message. Tenderly here is saying cut through everything and get to the heart of the matter. We've talked about this before. I think it's kind of become something that you're used to hearing me say, I'm not interested in behavior modification. Like, I'm not interested in you just modifying your behavior to be a better person. I'm not interested in having a church full of good Christians. I want people that are radically transformed by the grace of God. But I want to make sure we understand that. I think this, this is a prime opportunity for us to grasp what I mean by that. Behavior modification might be good, but it's not good enough. I mean that in two ways. One is this. Look, if you're, it's good in the sense that like if you're murdering people and you find a way to stop, that's a good thing. Like, I'm happy for you. That's good. Way to go. But like locking you in solitary confinement isn't solving the problem. Soon as we let you out, you're going to start murdering people again, right? That's behavior modification. It's not good enough. It might be good. It's just not good enough. Also, what I mean by that is this, like, let's use the same analogy. Like, you've been murdering people a lot, and then you give up for a couple of years. 
like, look, I haven't killed anybody. Like, a good two years. I'm good. I've, I found a pill. I take it. No one has to die. It's great. Okay, you're going to still get convicted. Okay, you're not any different. You're still you. So when they figure out that you murdered those people two years ago, you're still guilty. This is what I mean. It's not good enough for you to just have behavior modification. God's not interested in just behavior modification. He's interested in utterly, totally, completely transforming who you are so that you are a different person than you used to be. Look, I grasp a little bit, kind of, sort of, I can pull my brain around forgiveness. But I don't get justification at all. Here's what I mean by that. I, I can understand how God in his in his graciousness, I can sort of get how he can look at a sinner and say, I forgive you. I kind of can get that. But I am completely and utterly dumbfounded by a God who would look at a sinner and say, you're not a sinner. Not just forgiven, but righteous. I don't get that, but here's what I do get. That doesn't happen from surface level. That doesn't happen from surface level repentance. That happens, the delivery mechanism for that is genuine, tender, heartfelt, deep, soulful, spirit level, beyond the atomic structure of your body level repentance. Saying, God, I am completely wrong, not sort of wrong. Again, we talked about the scale last week. There's a scale. The more good you are, the less good God gets to be. So around here, we make God really, really good. So what does that mean for us? Okay? Again, it, it's not my desire to try to beat us down. It's my desire to try to lift Jesus up. And his ways are not like our ways. So as we lift up his ways, our ways in comparison, they suck. And behavior modification might be good, but it's not good enough. So we see this transformation beginning to take place. We see this, this understanding of, of repentance being brought to us. That's the genuine comfort. That's the genuine preparation that needs to take place where we acknowledge that we are wrong and God is right. Because again, what good is Christ coming to us if our sins are still there, if our iniquity is still pulling us away from him? So we see the, the topography, the landscape, the, the, the view, the, the ground of our world is transformed and a way is made where no way was made before. In the wilderness of our lives, in the present place of our existence, a highway, a path, a road is, a way, a road is made out of that place and to the place that God has called us. This contrast is one that we see consistently throughout the Old Testament in this narrative of the wilderness as opposed to the promised land of God. The hard place, the dry place, the dead place, the place of no life, no fruit, no, no sustenance, no sustaining to the place of abundance and goodness and graciousness. Where we live in houses we didn't have to build, hello. Where we dwell and we eat fruit and food and we, 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 we reap from things that we didn't have to work for. Come on, what better picture do we have than that of Jesus for us? There is a grace that is given to all people and especially to the people of God that is so extravagant, so ridiculous that it's scandalous in its very nature. It's wrong. Is that okay to say in church? Like the grace of God is wrong. It's just not right. And yet it draws me to love him, serve him, and obey him even more. 
That's why this message is so powerful, and it's why I will continue with every breath I have to preach it to you until we all believe it. We see here this preparation happens so that in his coming, in his arrival, we can recognize him. In his coming, we can hear his word, and as his word comes to us, we are not like the grass. We are not like the flowers. We have abandoned the earthly place that we are, and we embrace the word of God and find him not now as one who brings death by his word, but one who has now become a shepherd to us, that we might submit to him and be led by him. All of this is to prepare us to receive him as shepherd and Lord. He's coming not to appease our sins, but to forgive them, not to just forgive them, but to proclaim righteousness to his people. It's ridiculous. So we have a great hope in his coming, and we have a heart to prepare that we might receive him as he comes, that we might embrace him upon his arrival. What I want to do this morning, I want to actually just close with this. This idea of him being a shepherd, this idea of him being our comforter. I want to read the words of Psalm 23. If you've ever been to a funeral of anybody who ever attended a church, you've heard this before. You have a grandma who knits. She probably has it on a pillow somewhere. But it's in the Bible, so we're going to read it. This is Psalm 23. It says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Let me just say something honestly. As appealing as that might sound to some of us, let me just point out that there's a lot of unappealing things in that as well. Did you catch what, where the comfort comes from? His rod and his staff. You ever been around a shepherd? Do you know what they use those for? It's for artists to paint them and they look noble. No. The hook at the end of a, of a shepherd's staff, we've talk, we talked about this this summer, if you were with us, we talked about shepherds in the church. That hook is to grab a sheep by the back of the leg and drag its wandering butt back into the flock. The staff is there to grab us as we wander away. The staff is there to, to lead us back to the place of comfort and, and, in, and inclusion into the people of God. The rod... <laughs> These things are amazing. They would, what they would do is they would find trees that had uh, branches. And if you've ever kind of cut through a lot of wood, you'll know there's knots in trees, right? And that's where branches come out. And what shepherds would do is they would find these particular kind of trees 
that would have those big knots and then a stick attached to it. And they would carve that out of the tree. So they have this really big, really hard knot attached to a stick. That's that. Yeah. And they hit the sheep on the head with it. A good shepherd, I read a book about shepherding. It wasn't like a Christian book. It was just like how to be a good shepherd. And one of the things that shepherds train to do is they train to learn how to throw that that stick with the big heavy knot on the end of it up to like 60, 70 yards because when you're too far away for the hook to grab and pull you back in, they huck this thing and they're Aim is for the head. Why? Because they don't want to bruise the meat or rip the wool. They'll just smack you in the head with it. And that's enough to make the sheep go like, whoa, wait a second. And gives the shepherd enough time to get there and grab them and drag them back. Again, we've talked about this before. It's really mean that the scriptures use the term sheep to describe us. Because sheep are stupid. Sheep are so dumb, they are led by their stomachs primarily. They will eat themselves literally off a cliff. They will eat. If there is grass that leads them off the edge of a cliff, they'll nom, 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 nom. Whoop. That's their whole, that's their life. Like sheep got a good deal when shepherds decided that wool was cool, right? Whatever fashion designer decided to make wool the new thing back whenever that was, sheep got the good end of that deal. And that's the chosen animal that God chooses to describe us as. We're dumb. We need a shepherd. Much of what is in Psalm 23 might be appealing, but I want to make sure that we also hear the rod and the staff comfort me. The other big thing for me that I I feel like I'm so prone to jump over is that I like this verse when I read it as a promise, right? Right? Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It's great. Makes me feel warm and cozy and tingly and makes me think I'm going to get an Xbox One for Christmas, right? I shall not want. It's very different, though, when I read it like a command. Right? When I understand it as the Lord saying, like, you need to stop wanting and be satisfied with what I give you. I don't like it so much then. (laughs) I like it more when it's a promise. But here's why I think it's important for us to catch this. Uh, Let me find it here real fast, just because I want us to see it, because I don't want us to think that uh, I'm just making this up. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. I like the restores my soul. I I don't like so much the leads me in paths of righteousness. I want to go where I want to go when I want to go there. I'm an adult. Do what I want to do. I literally, this is horrible. I, I, I won't say where I work just in case this goes on the internet, but I work at a call center and I had a customer literally tell me on the phone on Friday, I get what I want. And I had to put the phone on mute and just laugh at him. Like, because you're a grown adult and that's your argument. Like I'm telling him, I'm sorry, we can't provide that for you right now. And he's like, well, you're going to give me this. And I was like, I really am so we can't do that. I get what I want. I'm like, are you four? Like, <laughs> it's just the way that we think we, it's okay to talk to people, right? But really that's kind of how I am when it comes to my conversations with God a lot. Like I get what I want, Lord. says, now I'm going to lead you in paths of righteousness, but here's where it really gets the rub comes in. For his name's sake. 
I've said this here before again too. We like in, especially in charismatic, charismatic Pentecostal circles, we like to hear God is for us, right? We like that. But God is only for you in the sense that he is for himself and he has staked his glory on your redemption. God is for God. He leads you in paths of righteousness for his namesake. I say all of that to say this this morning. If understanding all of that, if understanding that, that he is your shepherd, that he is going to direct your life, that he is going to be the one to, to bring correction, he is going to be the one to bring direction, he is going to be the one to give command, he's going to be the one to lead and guide you, he is going to be the one who gets all the glory for everything you ever do. If that still makes your soul rejoice, I would propose to you that that is a gift. That, that is the working and the functioning of the grace of God in your life to bring about repentance in your life so that you might recognize those areas that are contrary to that desire and realize that the ultimate desire of your life is his glorification, is his exaltation, is to make much of Jesus in all things. Even if it is at the expense of my own comfort. Because true comfort comes in repentance, not in being lulled to sleep in a place that's killing me. Let's stand to our feet. We're going to end this morning, as we always do, entering back into his presence, entering back into worship. We're going to open up the table again this morning. We've chosen as a community to partake of uh, communion each time we gather together. I think it's an important step of repentance. It's an important reminder of the reality that the price was paid for our sin, that while we talk about the extravagance and we, we, we magnify the scandalous nature of the forgiveness that is ours in Christ, that forgiveness, though completely and utterly given to us as a gift, was not free for him. It cost the breaking of his body and the shedding of his blood, and we remember that as we partake of communion. This morning, my message, my hope for us at this point is simple. It's repentance. It's asking God to grant to us the gift of being able to recognize that we're wrong and he's right and prepare our hearts for visitation. If I can, for just 45 more seconds, kind of draw this a little bit more specifically to us as a people. God has been doing some outstandingly amazing, phenomenal things in us over the past season. And I believe all of those things are preparation for what he ultimately longs to do in us, which is glorify himself greater. And I would encourage us in this season, in this time, to be preparing for that. There is a sense in those verses that we read in Malachi when we started. There's this odd sense, and it was the understanding that the rabbis in the days of Jesus had. That the arrival of God, that the advent of Jesus, that the visitation that is prepared for God's people please hear me, this is important to kind of not over push, but to understand, is almost contingent upon the preparation of his people. In other words, he promised that he would send a preparing word 
to his people before he arrived. And those that received it, those that received John's message were the very ones that were then drawn to Jesus. So much so that, listen, John lost his job when Jesus showed up. To the point where people literally came to John and they were like, everyone's leaving you and following this Jesus guy. You okay with that? And John's response was, it's fine. I must decrease so that he might increase. There needs to be in us, if we truly believe that, and mo- many of you, almost all of those who are, are connected in with the core and, the, and our members here have come and said, I really believe God is about to do something significant and amazing. And please hear us, we don't talk about that kind of stuff a lot. We don't try to build on hype here. It's the last thing I wanna do. What I wanna do is say, are we, as the shepherd, as the pastors of this house, my wife and I wanna make sure As elders here, we want to make sure we're delivering that message and saying, are we preparing? Preparing our hearts, preparing our minds, preparing our lives to say, God, we are ready for your visitation. Whatever that looks like, we don't put labels on it. We just hope that in the midst of it, Jesus is made much of and people are drawn to his saving grace. Amen? So let's pray this morning. Encourage us if there's an area of our life this morning that God is putting his finger on in the area of repentance and preparation. If you know there's an area in your life that is drawing you away consistently from his presence, I would, I would encourage you, no, I would beg you to begin to ask God to grant to you repentance in that area. Not behavior modification, but genuine transformation. Holy Spirit, we love you. We love your presence here with us. God, I I am so thankful that you are not relegated to just visiting us as we sing songs, but that you come and you abide with us as we hear your word. God, would you come and would you meet those who seek you this morning? God, would you come and would you draw near to those who are drawing near to you? Would you be faithful, God, to your word to make a way where there seems to be no way? God, we give you all the glory. We give you all the honor. God, we we confess, we proclaim our desire to have you as shepherd. Prepare us, God, to receive you. Not just as the solver of our problems, but God as the shepherd of our life.